Sidrach. We're going to do now the Tanya of Shabbos, end of Sunday. So to remember what we're discussing here, Adab is explaining the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, that if someone is praying and a non-Jew is talking in a manner to disturb his prayer, that truly is God. God is within that non-Jew and God's energy is vested in him at this moment. And this is deliberately coming from God so that ultimately you will have even more concentration and pull from yourself an even better prayer to overcome this distraction. So the Rebbe here is explaining this whole concept. How can we say within this heathen is God? And that's what we're in the middle of explaining. So we speak of the word of God that vivifies all of creation. It has a number of names. In the Talmud and Midrash, it's called Shechina. In the Kabbalistic language, it's called Ematata, the lower mother. It's also called Matrinusa, the queen. In the Kabbalistic language, it's called Malchus, sovereignty. Now, why does it have all these names? Well, all these names refer to its function. Shechina, the Talmudic and Midrashic term for the word of God, is from the root word shochen, which means to dwell, because the word of God dwells and invests itself in created beings to give them life. In the Zohar, where it's called the lower mother, the queen, both of this relate to the function. The mother cares for the lives of her children. The queen cares for the lives of her subjects. In Kabbalistic language, it's called sovereignty because through the word of a king, he rules. A king rules by speech. Uh, there are other reasons as well. And Malchus sovereignty is, as we're saying, the speech of God, the word of God, which creates all. Now, in each of the four worlds, this level of the word of God, if we're going to call it Shina or Malchus or Emetatometrinus or whatever term we're using for it, this level vivifies all of the creations of that world. So using the familiar Kabbalistic language of Malchus, of sovereignty, the sovereignty of Atsilas, the word of God of Atsilas, animates all the beings in Atsilas. Atsilas is the greatest world. So we have the greatest, greatest souls of Atsilas, such as Adam, the first man, the patriarchs, the prophets. The sovereignty of Bria, the next world, the world of creation, the word of God of that world animates all the souls and angels of that world, which is, of course, on a lesser level. The word of God, the sovereignty of Yitzira, the world of formation, animates the souls and angels of the world of formation. And the lowest of these four spiritual worlds, the world of Asiya, the world of action, the Malchus, the sovereignty of the world of action, animates and creates all of the beings, the souls, the angels, and all of the physicality, which is part of the world of Asiya, the world of action, of making. In other words, the world of Atsilas, Bria, and Yetzirah, Atsilas, which is Etzel next to God, and Bria, 
creation, and Yitzir formation, these worlds only have spiritual components. But Asiya, the lowest world, the world of action, has a spiritual manifestation and has a physical manifestation. Everything we know is our physical universe, the entire Milky Way system. So all of that is animated from the Malchus, the sovereignty of the world of Asiya, of action. So everything is coming from the divine presence, the word of God, the revelation of God's power. So how then are there things, are there entities that seemingly oppose God? In our physical world, we have a lot of things that seemingly oppose God. So this now begins the Tanya portion of Sunday. So the Rebbe explains that outside the land of Israel, in other words, we're looking at a lower life force, a lower spirituality force, the life force from the word of God, is invested within other spiritual entities like the angels that are appointed over the 70 nations. And a spark from the word of God, from the sovereignty of Asiya, the world of making, of action, is descending and radiating over these angels in a very encompassing fashion. Encompassing fashion meaning it's very remote. It's not invested within the angels. The life force is shining over them and encompassing them. And then from these patron angels, life issues forth to the nations and to all that's in their lands. So the world is divided besides the people of Israel, besides the Jewish people, into 70 nations. So we have 70 such Angels, meaning the spiritual sovereigning force over each of these 70 nations. And from this spiritual sovereigning force comes life to all the people of that world, to the physical world itself, to all the animals that inhabit that piece of land. So these angels, in an encompassing way, are receiving their energy and vitality from the word of God, from sovereignty of the world of Asiya the world of action. And it comes all the way down in this very, very remote fashion through these sovereigning angels to the physical world that each of these angels is responsible for a piece of it. Now, within that itself, we can differentiate because the parts of the land parts of the earth and the animals and fowl that are pure, that are kosher, are nurtured by klipas noiga, meaning where there is potential good and potential evil. And creations, souls of the nations, that are completely impure, that are not kosher, are nurtured by the three completely impure klipot, the shells, barriers to God's energy. That's outside the land of Israel. So what do we have there? We have physicality. Physicality there, physicality means an ant or a leaf, a blade of grass, a cow, a horse, a clump of earth. All that physicality is nothing in contrast to the angel, which is a conduit for its life force and existence. And the angel itself is nothing in contrast to the spark from the word of God, 
which radiates over the angel, which transcends the angel, and through which the angel has the ability to then transfer energy to the physical world that it's vivifying. And even so, the life force coming from this radiation, from the word of God that's radiating over these angels, is still considered in a state of exile within them. This energy from God is considered an exile. These these angels are called Elohim Acherim, which means other gods, that's their gods, but they view themselves as deities and they view God as the, the ultimate one, the God of gods. So the nations which are receiving their life force through these angels are truly idolatrous. And only at the end of time, by the time of the redemption, when all evil will be swallowed up, and then the nations will directly be able to receive from God himself. They will call upon God directly. So these idolatrous people, and they're being sustained by this divine spark, and this divine spark, thus, is an exile because the divine spark is in a state of exile in the manner that it encompasses this angelic force that this patron angel is then giving life to this whole nation. So the nation is receiving its sustenance. It's not recognizing that ultimately goes back to God. It's recognizing it has its own deity. This patron angel is, so to speak, its deity. But the patron angel is only getting its life from the word of God. But there's like this disconnect where the patron angel itself, though it knows God created it, it knows it has its energy from God, but it still views itself now currently as an independent source. And thus for sure, all that's created from it, the nations and the animal and the Insects and the fowl and the earth, all of that for sure is viewing its sustenance as coming from the angel and not relating that it's actually coming from God who's vivifying the angel. So this is truly exile of God because he's giving them life and they're not recognizing him at all. But there has to be more than that. Why does it have to be more than that? Because we speak of the divine presence being exiled. And based on what the Rebbe just explained, this is a um, a continuous state. From the beginning of time, going back to this week's portion, Genesis, from the beginning of creation, we have these patron angels, each of whom has a certain territory of land, a certain nation, which is being vivified through the energy of the angel, which in turn is receiving its energy from the word of God and knows it's receiving its energy from God, but is disconnected from that and feels it's a separate entity from God. This has always been going on. So how do we speak of the divine presence being exiled? So the Rebbe explains that this exile, what we've discussed so far, came literally from the sixth day of creation, actually, from Rosh Hashanah, when man sinned with the tree of knowledge, 
Because at that time, the forces of evil, the Kripa, were able to receive a certain vitality that they didn't have until that point from this most external dimension of God. As we said, this word of God is only very, very peripherally encompassing the energy of that patron angel. That's the unfortunate norm we've had since the sixth day of creation when man came on the scene and on the day of his creation sinned with the tree of knowledge. But it gets worse. Because from the beginning of time, from when there was the sin of the tree of knowledge, the most backside external aspect of the word of God was in exile giving vitality to these angels whom in turn vivified the nations and animals and earth and plant life of the world. But when the Jewish people sinned, and when the Jewish people are exiled among the nations, the Jewish people are attached and enrooted in the innermost aspect of divinity. So when the Jewish people went into exile, now there's a total exile for the divine presence. Because now the innermost aspect of divinity was also drawn down to these patron angels and nations. That's when we say God went into exile. Because then his innermost energies went into exile through our exile, through our sins.